0: People of God, it is our God who has given us his law. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, immediately following the giving of the law, it sets before us the context in which that law was given. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 references that context. And so we will read that as our introduction to the law, Exodus 20, 18 through 29, 21. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. This is the context in which God spoke to the people, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words out of the thunderings and the lightning and the trumpets blaring. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey nor anything that is your neighbor's. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all of your strength. This is the first and the great commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself and on these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. Well people of God hearing that let's turn together number 201 number 201 oh my soul bless thou jehovah recognizing that our god is a god who has declared his will and his law but he is the one who has brought us out of the land of slavery to our own sin and our own sinful nature and he has given us mercy and grace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ yea the Lord is full of mercy and compassion and so let us sing the four stanzas of number 201.
1: Oh, my soul, bless thou Jehovah. All within me bless his name. Bless Jehovah, and forget not all his mercy to proclaim. In the river, through the chanting, t- by the chanting. T- t- Demons from destruction, at his, image his name. He with tender mercy crowns thee, self defied thy full request, so that like the tireless eagle, thou with youth renewed art blessed. Righteous is the Lord in judgment. Unto all that are oppressed To his people he has ever Made his goodness manifest Yea, the Lord is full of mercy And compassion for distress Slow to anger and abundant In his grace and tenderness he will not be angry away, nor will he forever chide. Though we oft have sinned against him, still his love and grace abide. As the heavens are high above us, great is love to us as proved. Far as east from us is distant, He has all our sins removed. As a father loves his children, feeling pity for his woes, so the Lord to those who fear him, mercy and compassion shows.
0: O people of God, we... Look to that mercy and compassion which is demonstrated through God's gracious gift to us in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 12, our text for this morning, that is highlighted as it says that we worship in the presence of Jesus. Described for us in Hebrews 12, verse 24... To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We're sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And it's in there that we have the remission of sins and that Jesus stands as that mediator uh, in the throne of glory and yet mediating on behalf of his people on behalf of all who put their trust and faith in him. And so we rest in that great promise of the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. And in that confidence, people of God, we draw near unto our Lord and Savior in our morning congregational prayer. Let us pray. O gracious God and heavenly Father, we come before you in this morning hour and we thank you, O God, that you have brought us out of the land of slavery, uh, out of the Egypt of our own lives and of the world and of, of the devil, and that you have saved us through Christ. And we thank you that his blood speaks better than the blood of Abel, Abel's blood that cried for vengeance, the blood of Christ that cries for grace and mercy to the elect and oh god we give you thanks and we praise your name and we thank you oh god that our mediator stands at the throne and he stands at the, as it were, the mercy seat. And so, oh God, we come before you not because we have exalted ourselves, not because we believe that we can just throw ourselves into your presence, but we come through that one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We come through our Lord, our Savior, our mediator, redeemer, restorer, that one who renews us by sending forth his spirit and power. And, O oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we praise your name that you have drawn us into your presence. And so, O oh, God, we come. And, O oh, Lord, we thank and praise you that we do not need to fear and run, but, O oh, Father, in reverence and awe in that godly fear. We come before your presence with joy, with thanksgiving, with awe and reverence. And so, Lord God, may we in this morning hour, may our hearts and minds and soul and spirit, Father, may we be lifted up. May, O Lord, we be nourished and refreshed. May we be encouraged. Uh, May we, Father, know where we fall short. May we, Father, have our eyes focused on your promises, your word, that word that comes to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. And we thank you, Father, for this day that you have given us, this day of rest, this day of gladness, where we can. Rest from our normal labor where we can worship. Father, where we can rest in this day, a day set aside. And Father, we pray that uh, you would uh, bless the labor of our hands, uh, bless the work of our minds. Father, bless us in this coming week. And we ask your blessing upon Daniel and Jamie who were married on Friday. We thank you, Father, for that union uh, we thank you, O oh Father, uh, and we pray, Lord, that you would establish them in Christ, that they may grow closer and closer to Jesus and to you. And and Father, that this uh, marriage may be that which is uh, governed and founded upon your word and then, Father, a living testimony to our world which so desperately needs to see the gospel manifested in the lives of your people and in the marriages of your people. And so, Father, we pray that you would establish that in our own marriages as well. Father, that there may be that visible a declaration of truth, gospel truth in the way that we live and the way that we relate to one another as husband and wife. And, Father, where you have so blessed as, as parents to children, And, Father, we pray that uh, we may then, O Lord, be built up in Christ and grow in Christ. O Lord God, we ask your continued blessing upon the ministry of this church, the fellowship of believers. We pray, O Heavenly Father, that you would uh, be with with Pastor uh, Mitch Dick as he brings that word and faithfully serves. We pray, Lord, that you may uplift him and, and strengthen him. Father, we pray that you would be with uh, Elder Geison and the deacons, and we pray, Father, that they too may uh, go about their tasks with joy and that you would bring them to many green pastures. We pray, O heavenly Father, that you would be with them in days of discouragement, times of difficulty, uh, where there may need to be rebuke, Father, we pray that there may be open uh, ears to hear and and know that, O oh Lord, that uh, that as your people, we grow in grace and knowledge as we are trained in the, by that word and, and as we are instructed by it, uh, taught by it, as we are rebuked by it, as we, O oh Lord, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that uh, you would ever increase our witness to the world and to those who are lost, those who are dying. Heavenly Father, may we walk faithfully before you and may we observe the opportunity of the day uh, to bear testimony. And may Your gospel truth go forth faithfully, uh, near and far. We do thank you, O God, that we are part of a a church that uh, extends far beyond these walls. And Father, may we be encouraged and rejoice in the glorious truths of your word. Heavenly Father, we now ask that you would bless us as we would continue to worship. May we worship in spirit and truth, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Father, that we may with joy participate in every aspect of worship, that we may give cheerfully, that we may sing joyfully, that we may listen patiently, that we may, oh Lord, in all aspects of worship, uh, know that uh, we are worshiping and truth in in spirit from the heart. And, Father, we ask that in this we may be blessed. We may be a blessing to one another. And, Father, that we may bless and glorify your holy name. These things we ask, O God, in the blessed name of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This time we bring before our God our morning offering. People of God, as we prepare for hearing uh, the word of our Lord, let's turn together in the Psalter hymnal number 479, number 469, 469 by the sea of crystal, singing together the three stanzas. People of God, we look together this morning in God's word. We hear that word from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll begin reading verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. People of God, hear that word of God. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all. To the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of, a new, of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not free, refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things which are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. People of God, you are called to worship with reverence and awe. And our text, our scripture sets before us the the reasons why we ought to worship with reverence and awe. But it does that by answering a number of questions. And those questions are kind of questions that we would ask in numerous situations. You might ask yourself, how did you get here? Where are you? Who is here with you? What are you doing? These are the questions that our scripture answers this morning. It begins in verses 18 through 22 by asking, where are you? And first, it says, where you are not it first tells us where we're not. And we're not in Mount Sinai. We're not on the base of Mount Sinai. We're, we're not in uh, the wilderness. And so it makes that a point. It says, but uh, for you are, have not come to the mountain. and And that mountain is Mount Sinai. And And it's particularly pointing out to that moment in time when God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel there on Mount Sinai. Now certainly, when we think of not being at Mount Sinai, and this text is not simply talking about a geographical location, but it is also talking about a spiritual reality. We are not in the same place that the Israelites were at that base of that mountain. But those people were there. And we read from Exodus uh, chapter 20, uh, verses that we don't normally read uh, when we hear the Ten Commandments. And that is that context where there was fire and smoke and thundering and and without people blaring the trumpets, there was the blaring of trumpets and you had all of this. And then in the midst of that, when you think that's loud enough, then a voice would speak the Ten Commandments. Now, I can imagine that that would be a scary event. Uh, I would well imagine that we too uh, would stood, would have stood in fear on that. But that's not where we are. We might think that we're in a place that is much more calm, that, uh, that we, we're in a place uh, that uh, is not near as significant. I mean, just look, we're in a small church, not on the base of a mountain, Right? Wrong, says our text. That, that would be a wrong assumption to make. We have not come to Mount Sinai, it says, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. To the city of, of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where you are. That's where we've come to, particularly and throughout this text, uh, this portion of Hebrews, it, it There is no doubt that this has its primary focus. There's application to all of life, without a doubt. But the primary focus is on corporate worship. You have come to Mount Zion. We are now on Mount Zion. Not at the base of it, but we're on it. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we are. And that's the focus. We we have come to a place that is more awesome, that ought to fill us with awe more than if we would be at the base of Mount Sinai when God spoke and the thunderings and the lightnings took place. We, we are not in a place that is less significant. We're in a place that is more significant. Uh, this is the city of the living God. This is that city which at the second coming uh, we will, uh, will descend from heaven. Revelation 21 uh, verse 2 will describe this city. It's one of the things that the word of God will describe uh, at the very end of the revelation of God's word. In the book of Revelation, 21, verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Genesis 21, verse 10, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Now, that's at the end of time. But right now, that Jerusalem, that heavenly Jerusalem is in heaven. And that's where we are. We're there. Or one of the very last verses of all of Scripture, Genesis 22, uh, verse 19, will describe it this way. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book, from the holy city. That's where we are. We are in that holy city, that heavenly Jerusalem. Mount Zion. And who's with us? Who is with us? So we have the place of worship, and then who is worshiping with us? Well, our scripture clearly declares that as well. It says that those who are worshiping in this place, this holy city, this new Jerusalem, this Mount Zion. Who is worshiping there? In verse 22, to an innumerable company of angels. That's who's worshiping with us or us with them. That is who is worshiping an innumerable company of of angels, do you see them that 's who we 're worshiping with. Yes, if we had uh, the eyes of elisha 's servant uh, that was would be opened, then we would see that we are in this heavenly Jerusalem and in an innumerable company of angels worshiping with us, or us with them. Second kings chapter six, verse seventeen. Remember that story that the that the, uh, the Syrians were surrounded, the, the, the people of God were su- surrounded by the Syrians and, and Elisha's servant was terrified and Elisha said, we have an army. We have an innumerable company. And Elisha in chapter 6, second Kings 6, verse 17, Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The innumerable company, and not at that moment in worship, but the innumerable company. We have the eyes of faith to see that we are worshiping with an innumerable company of angels. By the sea of crystals, there is this myriad that is worshiping, and we're there worshiping with them. When we're here, we're also there. We are worshiping with the church, of the firstborn, you heard that call to worship this morning about born in Zion, born in Zion. Well, that wasn't talking about born on in a geographical location. It's talking about those who are born in Zion, the city of the living God. That's your that, that there's new birth, the church of the firstborn. Those who are united to Christ in such a way that we all have access to the Father as if we were firstborn sons. All of us. The church of the firstborn. That firstborn who in, in uh, uh, the Old Testament uh, was symbolized by the tribe of Levi as that firstborn that is holy to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, one with the Lord, the firstborn who are saved because the blood was shed in Egypt, the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, the firstborn. We are the church of the firstborn. And and we know and and just we are mindful of the word church there in the text. It's the called out ones. The the literally meaning of the the word church. It's, It's those who are the called out ones. And we are called by a divine call, a powerful call, an effectual call called out of the world and out of ourselves and out of Mount Zion to Mount Zion above. Or the city of the... Called out of Mount Sinai into Mount Zion. We are the church of the firstborn. We are part of that church of the firstborn. But... The text would also make it clear that when it's talking about the church of the firstborn and and though we are clearly the ones, you have come to this. So it is the church on earth that has come to the city in heaven and to the church of the firstborn in heaven. And then it will also make that clear in verse 20, uh, in, in verse 23, as it talks about the church of the firstborn, but also 23 at the end. It will declare that it is the spirits of just men made perfect. The spirits of just men made perfect. Uh, that would lend us to think that this is those who are in heaven, those who are believers in heaven, those who have died and gone to heaven. The spirits and no longer in a, in a body, but they are still men, just men. Just why? Because they have been made perfect. They have now been made in such a way that there's no thought of sin. There, there's no desire for sin. There's no ability to sin. They are now in that sense, perfect in a way that we are not. But that's who we are in worship with. We are joining them in heaven. And we come to God. To God. We come to God the judge of all. And that's all it says about God in the text. Oh, uh, there's much more there, right? This is all it says, is we come to God, the judge of all. And at the end of our text, it says uh, that we come with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. For the, so there's the second description of God in our scripture. God, the judge, God, the consuming fire. And then we think of Mount Sinai. And one might think that in this text that it would say, and you've come to God, that that deliverer, to God the Savior, uh, to God uh, the one who has compassion and he's slow to anger. You have come to God the judge. You have come to God the consuming fire. And if you thought Mount Sinai was was terrifying because there was fire on the mountain. We have now come to the God who is a consuming fire. We have now come to the God who is the judge of all. So how dare we stand? How dare we enter into this presence? How do we Dare to go to Mount Sinai. How dare do we approach the throne of God? In the book of of Hebrews, it says we have entered into the Holy of Holies as God's people. We haven't just come in a general way. We're in the Holy of Holies. How do we get there? Well, people, no person would ever just go before this judge and this consuming fire. And say, I'm here. No, there's only one way that we can go. And he is there for us. We come to Jesus. We come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. To the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We come to Jesus. Jesus, Yahshua, the Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins. We come because our Savior is there. Our Savior. And there's many aspects to mediation that uh, we could dive into. But know that a, a mediator, when you think of Jesus as a mediator, you might think of an illustration of what mediation is. It's just an illustration. It doesn't dive into all the depth of it. But an illustration is that Jesus is the road. The road. Or, as Jesus said in John 14... John chapter 14, where we have those familiar words concerning the nature of a mediator and the way. John 14, will begin with verse two. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would know the my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. I am the way. I am the mediator. Uh, This this declaration of Jesus being the way, He is the, the path, He is the mediates, He's the one through whom we come into the presence of the Father is the only way. It's the only way that one could ever enter into the Holy of Holies. Enter into the New Jerusalem. Enter into Mount Zion. It is the only way we can enter into God's very presence, is through Jesus. That's why we pray so often. Although not, not there isn't a command that says every single time you pray that you have to say this because Jesus in His Lord's Prayer didn't put this at the end of that prayer even. But in every way we think in terms of this, the only way we can pray to enter into the presence of God, the only way we can enter into the presence of God in our worship, the only way is through Jesus. And that's why when we pray, we say, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Because there's no other name by which we can enter into this heavenly Jerusalem, into the presence of God. There's no way we can do that and not stand in utter terror and flee and call on the mountains to hide us and cover us. It is because we've been covered in the blood of Jesus. We have been sprinkled with the blood. And because we have been sprinkled with the blood and Jesus is our mediator, now we can, without dread, without the fear of fright that makes us run or calls on the mountains to cover us or keeps us from even striving to go into the presence of God, we come with a confidence and a love. And a gratitude and a spirit of worship and awe and reverence because we have been covered with the blood or sprinkled, better yet, sprinkled in the blood of Christ. Now, there are so many places that would talk about that sprinkling. We can think of the Passover lamb itself. In Exodus 24, 6 through 8, one instance of that blood as the old covenant is ratified, as it's instituted, beginning with verse 6. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar... And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. And Moses went up also Aaron, Nabab and Abihu and the 70 elders and he speaks to all of these, in, and all of this is in that context of being sprinkled with the blood, but that was the shadow that was the the anticipation of the blood of Jesus, which speaks better than the blood of Abel, which speaks better than the blood of the old testament sacrifices. It is that Good news that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are washed clean. We are set apart. We are renewed and anointed. The blood. The sprinkled blood. Of Jesus Christ. That blood which Jesus declared to be the blood of the new covenant in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 25. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. This blood of the covenant, this blood of Christ, uh, that is the reason We do not have to stand in absolute dread of the judge who is God. This is the blood of propitiation which appeases the wrath of God. It is the blood of purification which washes away our sin. It is the blood of separation that sets us apart as holy to the Lord. It is the blood of mediation. It is the blood of sacred assembly. It is the blood of life. It is the blood of effectual atonement. There is power in this blood. This is the blood that speaks. You see, people of God, in the context of this worship service, there is an anticipation of a word being spoken. In the Old Testament, that word was the word of the law, particularly on Mount Sinai. Now, the law was also uh, in its general, uh, in its general uh, definition, the word law was also that which explained to us the gospel. The law of God, for instance, the, the law that says shed the Passover lamb's blood. That's a law. But it's a law that is gospel permeated. God speaks in the, from Mount Sinai. But here in the Mount Zion. In the heavenly Jerusalem, we hear the blood of Christ speaking, the blood of Jesus speaking, the good news of God's saving grace focused on the cross of Christ and on Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. And this blood is speaking a better thing than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel that spoke that there might be judgment. This blood speaks that there is salvation. In Genesis 4, 2, 10, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And in Revelation nineteen thirteen, we are told that Jesus is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. William Hendrickson uh, writes this, Abel's blood is the blood of a martyr that evokes revenge. The blood of Jesus is the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies But the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. This good news. Of God's saving grace. In the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews uh, declares in verse 25. That when we come into this holy city. This new Jerusalem, and we come in the presence of God and the innumerable angels and, and the church of the firstborn, then we come and we need to listen. We need to listen because there's a voice speaking, a voice speaking. In verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks, him who speaks. The word him there is a a reference either to Jesus the mediator or God or both. God the Father in this instance. It it is that there is one speaking in this holy mountain and listen to that one who's speaking. That's why people of God, we say that the preacher is not just preaching. It is God speaking. Thus saith the Lord. It is because... God's word says that's what it is. Listen to him who is speaking. Preachers who truly preach speak the word of God. God is speaking to you today. Are you listening? The blood of Jesus is speaking to you. Are you listening One commentator declared it this way. Sermons aren't commentaries. Sermons are events. Sermons are glimpses into glory. To hear a sermon should be to catch a sight of Christ. To hear a sermon should be, I will add, to hear Christ. To hear a sermon should be to feel the wind of heaven in your face. One should expect to receive an edict from the throne room because God is speaking. If this is where we are together, if this is who is with us, how can we not, with joy, anticipation, awe, and reverence, come together, rejoice in worship, And with gratitude, praise our God. That aspects of awe, reverence, and gratitude are focused on the text. In verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, this new Jerusalem, this all that God has in store for us, this kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Let us have grace. Now the word let us have grace is uh, really colloquialism. And it's a, it's a phrase that uh, I think the ESV does pick up well. It says, therefore, let us be grateful. Let us have grace. Uh, the phrase means let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us have grace, gratitude for all that God has done with us. And then we can, with every confidence, not only come together in the new Jerusalem to worship in the company of innumerable angels and those who have gone before us, but people of God, we come together with absolute confidence That this God is shaking this world, but we are not shaken. The things of this world will crumble, but we will not crumble. And so we worship in reverence and awe. Reverence in how we dress and how we sit and how we listen and how we pray and how we sing and how we give in this most holy place. Not because this building is holy. In an, uh, that's, that's not. But because we are in the holy of holies. We are worshiping in the new Jerusalem. Where are you? Who are you listening to? Who are you worshiping with? How are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Psalm 96 would declare it this way, beginning with verse 7. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, may our eyes of faith behold clearly where we are, who is with us, and that we worship you, our God, Sprinkled in the blood of Jesus, our Mediator. O oh, Heavenly Father, grant that we, O oh God, as your people, may be uplifted and strengthened, even as we stand in awe and we worship with reverence and gratitude and absolute confidence that you are the God who accomplishes all that you set out to do. And so, Heavenly Father, we want to praise and honor and glorify you, our Father, your Son, Holy Spirit. O God, may your name be glorified. May your name be uplifted. May we, O God, be strengthened. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.